Hello, Monetization Nation. I'm Nathan Golium, your host. Shep Hyken is a customer service and experience expert and a chief amazement officer of Shepherd Presentations. He's a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author and has been inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame. He's the author of eight books, including his most recent book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the key takeaways from his book, as well as Shep's tips on how to become a best-selling author and create an online course. My key takeaways from today's episode include, number one, the cost of acquisition is far greater than the cost of retention. Number two, to get our customers to come back, we have to provide unique value and find something to differentiate us from our competitors. Number three, we will ruin our customers' loyalty if we have apathy, if we're rude, if we have complicated systems, and if we have slow response times. Number four, to become a best-selling author, we not only have to write a good book, but we also have to have a good marketing strategy and plan. Number five, when building an online course, we should first determine what we want our customers to learn and then begin by drafting an outline. Number six, in our courses, it's a good idea to create different exercises to help keep our customers accountable. Thank you so much for joining us today, Shep. It is great to be here. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Can you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? Well, how about customer service and customer experience? Yeah, that's what I write about. Personally, um, I love playing music, doing card tricks, and family. Not necessarily in that order. So in this amazing career that you have had, what is the greatest home run that you have hit? Wow. That's a, I mean, there's, there's lots of milestones. I think some of the cool things are uh, New York Times bestselling book, uh, Wall Street Journal bestselling book, uh, getting inducted in the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame. That was pretty special. Um, so those are cool milestones. How about great clients working with some of the greatest companies in the world? So for those of us who are aspiring authors, what did you do to become a New York Times bestselling author? Other than writing a great book, um, what secrets or tips do you have for us to, to also be able to do something similar? So I'll tell you the secret. You don't need to write a great book. You need to sell a ton of books. No, actually, the book has to be good. That's the that's like the easiest part. It's it's uh, getting enough people to buy the book. And I remember um, somebody said you've got to sell at least ten thousand books before you can get on the New York Times bestseller list. So I sold eleven thousand. And uh, I've got to tell you, for months I did nothing but promote. I mean, just like I'm doing here today, talking about the new book. I'll be back. Um, I did everything I could to promote the book. I talked to my clients. Did they want to buy books? And then once the book launched, people were buying the books. Um, and we had a bunch of clients that, you know, ordered books for their events. And, um, you know, maybe they bought 100 or 200 at a time, which was great. Made my life a little bit easier. But that's the secret. Um, I was told when I first signed with uh, Wiley back, I don't know, 15 years ago for this uh, book, uh, Cult of the Customer, I was told that no book becomes a bestseller without a plan, at least in the business genre. And even um, Ken Blanchard, who wrote One Minute Manager and Knock Your, uh, well, gosh, what was his book on uh, customer service? It was uh, Raving Fans. I mean, all of his books, Who Moved My Cheese, 
these books, there was a definitive plan. He had gone to all of his clients and said, I've got this book coming out. How many do you want to buy? And he was getting orders and the publisher was seeing these orders and publisher, we need to print more books. We need to print more books. And that's how it works. You really work hard to develop a plan. Just, you know, like any, all of us in business, so many of us are entrepreneurs. We're running businesses. Uh, success doesn't happen by accident. So anyway, long answer to a short question. The book is important, but selling the book is more important. And what were the best ways that you promoted and sold that book? Is it getting on other shows and, and, and talking to other audiences about it? What, what were the most successful ways to do that? Well, when I first, my first books, there was, I don't even believe there was an internet back in, well, I guess there was back in, <laughs> there wasn't like, uh, I think Google had not even been invented yet. Uh, so forget about podcasts. It's just been in the last few years that we've been able to do that. But uh, my goal is, uh, you know, when this book comes out that week, I'd love to have be on, you know, 50 shows, 75 shows leading up to it, another 50 to 75 shows. Maybe people buy two, three, four, five books. Um, I did notice, uh, gosh, back in uh, July, the uh, book, um, it hit number one or at the, it was at the very top of top two or three of new releases on Amazon. I'm going, the book's not even out yet. How can that be? But people were buying it. So something's happening. Magic is happening behind the scenes. So for those uh, listeners who are creating infopreneurship businesses, who are, who are building courses and, and monetizing in the way you're recommending here, what advice can you give? To, maybe talk them through the structure of your, of your courses. Like how long are they? Uh, what do you charge for them? What advice can you give people on, on building their own courses? Sure. Um, so, you know, first write a book and then create the course. No, it's <laughs> just kidding. Well, you can, because I've actually taken my book and I said, let's just create a course out of this book. And it's already split up into chapters. So it's basically, you want to create an outline in, and what is it that you're trying to, to do? So I, I decided I would write a course not based on a book. It was called, um, uh, well, the first, the main course is called the customer focus. I was thinking I have a co course on complaints, but really all I did was I took an outline and I said, this is what we actually want our clients to do. If I'm going to be hired to come in and teach their people to do something, this is it. So I just laid it out in a format um, that would, you know, what by the time, so typically in a training or workshop, you have the trainer will say, here is a concept, here's an exercise, work it out at your table amongst yourselves. And so they may talk for five or 10 minutes. There might be 30 minutes of interaction while you're working on coming up with the answer, or the solution to whatever the problem is that's been posed to you. And then you come back and you report out. So said, so this is what the course should be. So I, my chapters are all very short. They're anywhere from three minutes, some, some may even be shorter to at the most seven minutes. And um, the first course was the customer focus. And so what I did is I, I, I said, let's do, uh, I, I laid it out the course. The first two chapters, very short, that's the introduction. And then there's a point where you stop. Uh, there's some quizzes, but you fill out your workbook and you answer some questions and then you meet as a group and talk about those answers. And we have a one sheet facilitator guide that says, this is the question you want to ask to start the conversation and just give everybody a chance to share their information. And 
uh, then you go into part two of this course. And uh, there's it's the first course, the customer focus is 23 chapters. It's divided into four parts. So you might watch five or six chapters. Again, give everybody a couple, three weeks to do this. You meet and you do it again. You have this meeting. And the whole idea behind this meeting is it forces people to bring their workbooks and prove that they did the work because it's like a watchdog effect. Uh, we're watching you. The, you know, and and we're monitoring you in a sense by if you show up unprepared, you're going to be very embarrassed. Now, I'm actually on a platform called the Learning Management System, an LMS, which is a technical word for a place where you, you keep your content so that people can access, access it. And That's which LMS do you use? Which one do you I recommend? I use Lightspeed, Lightspeed VT. They're out of Las Vegas. And what I love about that is the person, the company that buys it, the person in charge can track and monitor everybody's progress. They can see, oh, they passed uh, the quizzes on the first course. Oh, they missed question number two on that quiz. And, you know, my deal is if you miss the quiz because the quiz questions are not hard, you got to go back and watch the chapter all over again. So pay attention. And they really, they aren't hard answers. But the workbook is meant to be done alongside. Once you've watched the content, work on the workbook, go back to watch another chapter, work on the workbook. And, and so um, eventually for the customer focus, you'll go through four courses and there will be four meetings. But in addition to that, there's some um, exercises that are meant to be done on an ongoing basis because I don't think training is something that you did. It's something that you do. So we suggest to our clients, use this exercise ongoing. And you don't need um, to have access to the program to do this. It's just an exercise that we want our clients to do to create a better service experience for their customers as well as their employees. And so I have that course. I have a course on complaints. I have another course that's a very frontline focused on, it's it's based on a book, Amaze Every Customer Every Time. Um, I have a course called Five Ways to Creating Customer Amazement, which is actually an introductory course. It's very short, takes about 20 minutes. And what we love about that course is it just gets them to learn about who I am and a few of my ideas. And it also gets them comfortable with using the program. So uh, if uh, you go through all my courses in the time that we prescribe, it will take you at least a year and a half to two years to get through all of it. So, um, you know, we charge uh, an annual license. Clients pay monthly. Sometimes they pay annually. But that's really the background on this. So I know I'm kind of like opening up the doors to the factory where the sausage is built so, or sausage is made. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's what we like to I do here. This is of interest to your audience. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of stuff that we like to teach. We we like to learn from highly successful people like you and uh, and try to replicate that in our own businesses. Uh, let's go into your book. Um, what What is the most important takeaway that you want people to remember from, from your most recent book? All right. So there's a lot of great content in there, uh, but I'm going to give you the best chapter. It's number 15. It's where the rubber hits the road. And actually that's the title of the chapter. There's a six step process in there and I'll walk you through it. And this will give you an idea of some of the content of the book. And by the way, at the end of every chapter are conversation topics so that you can sit down with your team and talk about it, whether you've got just a few people. And if you've got a huge organization, they can do it in small groups, but you're gonna get some great ideas out of this. But here is the uh, six step process to creating the I'll be back scenario that you want. So first is, why would somebody come back or why would somebody do business with you at all? Okay. What's your, the differentiation point between you and your competition? And don't say, 
oh, they're all friendly. You know, my people are friendly and, and no, everybody says that about their people. I need something that truly differentiates you. Do you have a different product? Uh, are your store hours different? If you're a retailer, are you, uh, um, you know, what's your accessibility? You know, one of the, uh, like there's a car dealership that I bought cars from for years, still do. And they disrupted their competitor with one thing. They deliver the car to you. If you have a problem with your car, they drop off a car, they pick your car up, they take it and they bring it back to you when it, when it's finished. And that's like, you know, white glove concierge service. They don't charge for that. You buy a car from them. That's what they do for you. Now, other dealerships won't do that. And that's what separates them. Anyway, uh, I digress. So find out the reason why somebody does business with you. Number two, why would they do business with the competition? And write those things down. That's different. And number three, I call it keeping pace, which means if they're doing something that you're not doing and you should be doing, start doing it, but make it different. Do something a little bit different to make it your own. Make it better if you can. Number four, go outside of your industry and list the companies that you enjoy doing business with the most. It could be could be Amazon. It could be the local shoe store down the street. Okay. It doesn't matter. It could be a manufacturer where they have an inside salesperson that's just so amazing and always on top of it. Uh, it could be your dentist for that matter, Nathan. Anyway, uh, you write these uh, companies down and then you say, what do they do that makes you love them? Okay. And, and this is part of that process on step number four. You write it down, what they're doing, and then you say, how can I do what they're doing? Now, read between the lines because sometimes what looks like, like for example, Amazon, we did this exercise and somebody said, I love Amazon. What do you love about them? I love that as soon as I place the order, I get an email and then they email me when the product ships. And then I get a picture of the product leaning against my door to let me know that it's arrived. And this company wasn't an e-commerce company. And my question was, so what did you learn from that? And what could you do? And everybody looked at each other and I said, think about it. What is it that he really likes about Amazon? Does he like getting emails? Maybe, maybe not. Does he like information? Yes, he does. That's what Amazon's doing. They're delivering information to you. They're giving you a sense of control because you have knowledge of what's happening every step of the way. As a result, the company that's not an e-commerce company said, you know what? We should be giving our customers more information about when their order is going to be processed, when it's going to you know, uh, ship out. They're not an e-commerce company, they're a manufacturer. But by doing uh, a few extra touch points based on giving the customer information, the customer feels more in control. So they were able to adopt something from Amazon. Anyway, so step five then is, so let's see, I've, I've given you uh, number one, why do business with you? Number two, why does somebody do business with them? Number three, keeping pace. Number four, listing your favorite companies and, and what you love about them. Number five, it, seeing what you can do to incorporate what these other companies outside of your industry are doing. And number six, go back to question number one. Now that you've done all of this, why now would somebody do business with you? Did you change something along this six-step process? That is when you start to make improvements in the experience and the process for, for employees as well as for customers. And that's what gets your customers to say, I'll be back. In chapter two, 
you discuss the most important measurement uh, that business leaders should use. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So measurement's really important. We've got to know if we're doing a good job. Typically that's through, you know, on a scale of one to 10, are you happy? You know, what did you like about the product? What you're getting is great information, but it's a history lesson. What you want is to measure behavior. So um, I want to know if I'm doing a good job. By the way, this CSAT, customer satisfaction scores, NPS, net promoter score, you know, are you likely to recommend me? Those are all very, very important. Don't give up on those. You have to have that to find out if you're doing a good job. But I want to know the behavior of our customer. So let's take a look at our traditional loyal customer. How many times do they come in? How much do they spend? Compare that to the customer that comes in just once in a while or even just one time. And when you start to look at these differences, you'll start to say, you know what? I'd rather have more of those customers that keep coming back again and again. So how can I know that's happening? You measure the behavior. Um, I'll give you a real simple term uh, or example. And this is funny. I was invited to be the keynote speaker at a franchise organization. And the franchise was like hair salons. Like they, they asked the bald guy to uh, <laughs> come in and talk to all the stylists and the managers about uh, the success of their, their salons. And I learned that they want to make sure that the, the, the customer is happy with their haircut or whatever treatment they had for their hair. But they also said the only way we know they're happy, truly happy, is not that they gave us a great rating, is if they come back. And do they come back uh, in the cadence of what they should do? For example, they know that certain types of customers come back once a month. Certain customers come back once a quarter to get their hair colored, or maybe it's once a month. I don't know. I, I don't do that. But they know what different customers are doing, and they can actually track behaviors and if they see that their customer is behaving outside of what they want them to, they can reach out directly. They can connect with them and they can find out, hey, do we do something to upset you? Are you going somewhere else? What do we need to get you back if that's the case? Because we want to know they're coming back again and again. That's the behavior. Let's talk about the why this is so important. Getting them to come back again and again gives us a recurring revenue stream. It gives us stability as an organization. Um it, it helps increase our lifetime value of the customers. What other yep. benefits are there for getting our customers to come back again and again? Well, the cost of acquisition is far higher than the cost of retention. That's the most obvious one. So recognize that, you know, what do you have to spend to get a customer to get come in the very first time through your marketing, your advertising, and then realize what do you need to do to keep them? And uh, one of the questions I like to ask and I encourage the employees of companies to ask is, um, what am I doing right now at this very moment as I'm interacting with the customer to make sure that the next time they need whatever it is that I sell, they come back to me? What are the loyalty killers? What What are the things that we could do that could mess up our ability to get customers to come back again and again? Sure. I call these terminators. Uh, by the way, if you haven't figured out, I'll be back is the famous catch line from the terminator. Um, now, uh, when I started to write the book, it had nothing to do with that. But as I got into it, I thought, oh, this could be kind of fun. So I wrote uh, in one of the chapters, I wrote the 10 terminators uh, or 10 reasons customers would terminate the relationship with you. And by the way, you're not going to disagree with any of these because you've experienced them and they're all very common sense. Uh, the first one is apathy. You know, people just don't seem to care. So if you don't care about me, why should I care about you? Rudeness. Um, uh, you know, contact information is difficult to find. So I have a problem. I go on, 
to your website and I can't even find where to call customer service. It's like you're hiding from me. So, uh, you know, you, there's a number of these terminators. Um, you don't respond to my emails or you don't respond to my phone calls. Why should I come back? You know, those are what I, they're, they're not just loyalty killers. They're just complete relationship terminations. You know, uh, you don't do, if you don't treat me the way I should be treated with respect, dignity, and like a human being, I'm probably not going to want to come back to you. Uh, the, this is what we learned a long time ago. Um, Lou Stearns, professor at Kellogg Business School, taught this concept. He said, you can have the best product in the world, but if your service is terrible and you don't make people feel appreciated and um, you know just don't treat them right, they're going to go try to find that same product somewhere else. And they may even be willing to take a little cut in the quality of the product just to get the experience that they want. On the flip side, you can have the best experience in the world, but if your product doesn't do what it's supposed to do, people aren't going to keep buying that product, right? So you really need a combination of the two, a product that works and does what it's supposed to do and meets expectations. But when you combine that with the service and experience that customers say, you know what, this is why I like doing business with them. All of a sudden price becomes less relevant. All you're interested in now is the relationship and getting what you want and knowing it's going to be right. One of the ways you know things are successful is when uh, your customers use the word always to describe what it is that you do. They're always so friendly. They're always so helpful. They're always uh, they're calling me back quickly. The word always followed by something positive lets you know you're operating in that zone of amazement. And it, the word always, you know, again, it's important. Followed by something positive is a predictable experience and it's consistent. Can you share with me a, a story or two of companies that you think have done a really good job of of doing of, of creating this "I'll be back" culture? Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned it a few minutes ago. The uh, my car dealership that I uh, that delivers the car to me, and I remember going in there for the very first time. And the reason I went into that dealership is I know, and this is going to sound it's nothing against car dealerships, but I if I'd have gone back to the place that I bought my car. You know, my salesperson would be calling me all the time. I just didn't want to deal with that hassle. My wife saw this car in the window. She goes, that's the car you want to buy. And I thought, well, I'll go look at it here. I could always buy it anywhere I want, go back to my regular dealership. When I walked in there and the guy says, can I help you? Would you like to test drive the car? I said, you know, honestly, I just want to look at this car. I saw it in the window. I live 10 miles from here, the dealership that I um, was doing business with for almost 25 years they're literally a mile from where I work and I can drop my car off and get service. And he says, hold on a moment. Do you see a waiting room around here? I looked around, there wasn't a waiting room. And he says, that's because we have one, but it's very small. It's hardly ever used because when you buy a car from us, we will bring you the car when it comes in, or you can pick it up here. And whenever you need service, I mentioned this earlier, we'll drop a loaner car off hassle free, man. We just drop it off and we pick your car up and we bring it back when it's when it's ready. We'll exchange cars. And I go, and how much does this cost? Nothing. You know, we'll make the best deal that you think is reasonable. And you're welcome to go to another dealership and see if it is competitive. And if you like doing business with us, uh, then you'll do a business with us. And I think you'll really like it. And I went, wow. So three cars later, I'm still buying cars from them. I love how they created a wow experience. They didn't just provide a benefit. They created something that almost amazed you. Because it separated them from their competitor. By the way, COVID-19 hit, right? What happened? All of a sudden, car dealers, 
people aren't coming into the dealership. So you know what they're doing? Hey, we'll bring the car to you. <laughs> for the test drives? I know, for everything. Because they were wanted to sell cars. And you know what? It was very successful. But guess what? You know how many of those dealerships still deliver the car like that? Very few. They've gone back to their old ways. Big mistake. What do we need to do? What secrets and advice can you give to entrepreneurs to be able to create I'll Be Back cultures within their own organizations? Sure. And we covered this in the book, I'll Be Back. But let me give you a very simplistic framework. First of all, you have to decide that you want to have a focus on the customer and you have to create what I call a mantra. It's one sentence or less to describe the experience that you want your customers to have. This is not an advertising message. This is internal. It's kind of like when you create a value or vision statement or a mission statement, this is your customer experience vision. Okay. And again, I call it a mantra. It's one sentence or less. An example is uh, the Ritz Carlton nine words We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So when people come to work there, they know that's what it's all about. And the Ritz trains them to that. So once you have this mantra in place, you need to make sure everybody knows about it. So it's communicated well. You need to hire the people that fit into this style of what it is you're trying to achieve with your customers. Uh, you need to train people properly. And that means not just once, but reinforced ongoing training. Uh, you need as a leader to be the role model and show people, treat your people the way you want customers treated. And you know when they're doing it right, celebrate it with them. Let them know they're doing a great job. Thank you so much, Shep, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. To learn more about or connect with Shep, you can find him on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. You can visit his blog at customerserviceblog.com. You can check out his books on amazon.com and podcast at Amazing Business Radio. And we have links to each of these sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free copy of my ebook, Passion Marketing, and learn how you can become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, and I wish you success in increasing your customer retention. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.